you're listening to American Timelines by History for Jokes, the greatest podcast ever. American Timelines is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to another episode of American, American Timelines. Timelines. I'm Amy. And I'm Joe. I'm Amy's sexy husband. All right. And this and is... This is an ASMR. No, version. this is not an ASMR. Hi. This is the podcast that brings... It's stop me. it. It's history for jerks. This is the podcast no, that no, brings no, you all the crazy nostalgic <laughs> events from years gone by and we do it year by year. ASMR and style. No, stop. Yes, and we do this every... every Week that we do this a weekly podcast and we do it ASMR style. Stop doing that. All we right, do, that's how we do no, it. That's the, our podcast. That's it's not, an ASMR podcast. No, it is not. Okay. I am Domenico Montanaro, political editor. So tonight we are talking about <laughs> right, 1960. I'm Joe. I'm Joe. I'm Amy's husband. I'm Amy's. Well, a lot of people call me Amy's hunky husband. A lot of people say, "Amy, how's your hunky husband?" Right? Nobody ever says that. And this is a podcast. <laughs> we already, I already did that, and I and you stepped <laughs> on my my uh, telling everybody what year it was with your little bit there. Bit. You totally stepped Why on. Why can't my... we do an ASMR? We did 1960 is the year. Yes. We're still in 1960. This is the third episode of the 1960s, and we only got to March. I know. Because, Who knew? Yeah, I didn't know there'd be more info, not less, in the 60s. Yeah, uh, but it's all you know. I. I just I've been doing thorough research. What well, that is good, I think. And I don't know what you're going to like until I start talking. Right. And then sometimes you'll tell me to shut the hell up, while our listeners are like wishing I would talk about the thing that I was going to say that you told me to shut the hell all up. All right, about. all right. Specifically, specifically, Steve Brace <laughs> wanted it more. No more. I know. I about, got it. Oh, I know. But the listeners need to all know. That he really was on the edge of his seat for the ESPN history <laughs> section in 1979. Couldn't wait. Like, he was walking down the He told me this. He was walking down the street listening. Mm-hmm. And as I was approaching the subject of ESPN history, he shoved a guy off the street out of the way. Oh, wow. Out of his way. Because he was like, I need to concentrate. I need to hear this. And there was, like, people on the street as he was walking. He just kept shoving them off the sidewalk into the street, into traffic. Because he was so intent on listening. Okay. And he just stood still, closing his eyes in the middle of downtown charlotte and uptown charlotte sorry and then then you told me to shut up and not talk about it and he was really upset he punched the next person right in the face all right you made your point so just saying we have to sometimes talk about things we don't want to for the good of our listeners but before we jump in i just want to tell everyone that we are going to be doing a live recording of our podcast at charlotte shout in charlotte north carolina oh that's right so those of you who are local or listeners uh, and you would like to watch us do a live podcast, 
as part of a giant citywide festival where there's all kinds of other stuff going on. There will yeah. be like people dancing on the side of the government center. There will be a giant Indian wedding in the middle of the street. There's going to be all kinds of stuff. But also, we will be doing a live recording as part of the um, Queen City Podcast Network. It hasn't really hit me that we're doing that. Yeah, we are. It's um, May 11th. We are, as people know, we're based in Charlotte, North Carolina. We're part of the Queen City Podcast Network. The Queen City is Charlotte, not Cincinnati. It's Charlotte. And there's a big, huge citywide festival going on in May yes. called Charlotte Shout. And the Queen City Podcast Network will be having a live podcast stage uh, with a lot of mm-hmm. the different podcasts doing live recordings. We are signed up for Saturday at 2.30 p.m., May 11th. Find the Queen City Podcast Network stage, and we'll be there uh, doing a live podcast recording. The cool thing is they're going to record it for us. So oh, all we have to do cool. is show up and use their equipment, Yeah, which isn't crappy equipment that we have in our house. Um, anyway, so I know there are a few local listeners, Charlotte listeners. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, we'd love to meet you and say hi. Come out if yeah. you're available on May 11th. May 11th. May 11th. To listen to your favorite podcast ever. Um, <laughs> see how how really super hunky and attractive we are. That's right. I know we sound hot. Yeah. But wait till you see what we really look like. You'll be blown away. Or they'll be really disappointed. Or they'll be like, oh. Be like, oh, God. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah, face for radio. Yeah, I'm going to keep picturing what I was already picturing yeah. when I listened. Because obviously people are picturing. They're picturing something. Yeah, and I think most people probably, with you, they're probably picturing a Tawny Katane. What? Um, like Tawny Katane during the White Snake video. For me, I think people Tawny probably are picturing Gordon Jump, specifically in the Dudley Nobody the is Dudley picturing episode. you as African-American, honey. Gordon Jump is not African-American. Oh, I was thinking of Gordon. You know who I was thinking of? Gordon Lightfoot? <laughs> no, Gordon from Sesame Street. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, is Gordon Lightfoot black? Because I think I picture Gordon Lightfoot black because of Gordon you picture, from Sesame I, Street. I think Gordon Lightfoot is Gordon from Sesame Street. Like, <laughs> if somebody he says Gordon Lightfoot's name, I think, oh, and in my head, I'm thinking, oh, the guy from Sesame Street. I will Street. say, anytime I hear the name Gordon at all, I <laughs> picture all. Gordon from Sesame Street, no matter what. Are we Even the, though it's Gordon You know Graham. what's sad is we're probably the last generation that maybe... That thinks everyone get named Gordon is Gordon from Sesame Street? Yeah. No, Gordon Jump raped dudley remember oh that's right yeah. so people probably think i look like mr carlson Rest anyway and he was... didn't really rape him anyway <laughs> let's jump into the 60s <laughs> i thought this was going to be a less rapey podcast honey well somebody's got to put some rape in i mean obviously you are there isn't any rape. crazy about rape You're... no i'm you are the one you are you bringing no. it up here no, I, there's only one rape that i continually mention that's when gordon jump raped dudley but that was a fictional rape you always talk about real rapes Rape's a weird word. And let's get into 1960 <laughs> here. Uh, we're recording here on 420. It's April 20th. Um, Why are you bringing that we up? Are, well, just it's a holiday. Some people. Yeah. Actually, this year there's a big movement on Twitter. There's a big thing. Like, let's Legalize make it. it. Yeah, Ben and Jerry's giving away free ice cream. Sweet. Somehow, them giving away free ice cream equals they're trying to push for legislation to yeah. legalize marijuana. It'll be like... Or maybe it's just giving it Imagine that when they do, because yeah. they will. They gonna, will, yeah. It was just like when they legalized... Uh, but it's going it's, it's, it's to be like when Prohibition ended. It's going to be a historic moment. It is. And then people are going to look back and be like, can you believe this was illegal? For that time? long? Like, yeah. they're gonna, people are going to say, God, it was illegal for that long? Like, way longer than alcohol Even was 2019? illegal. 2019? That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, we left off in March of 
1960. And if we keep rambling on about 420 and Gordon Jump, uh, and <laughs> we're never going to get and everyone to April. Gordon is black from Sesame Street. <laughs> uh, or everybody named Gordon is from Sesame Street. Uh, we'll never get through 1960. Okay? So we left off on St. Patrick's Day. We pick it up oh, on St. Patrick's luckily Day, Irish. 1960. Can you imagine what the St. Patty's Day pub crawls were like in 1960? I don't know if they had pub crawls in 1960. Oh, I'm sure they did. Everyone was drunk in 1960. Yeah, but I don't they? think they did pub crawls. I think it's a relatively recent you think? phenomenon. Yeah. yeah. You know what? Now we're going to have to look up at the... When I'll was look the it first up pub and crawl? I'll slice it in at the end of the episode when pub crawls started. When I'm sure they didn't start in America. When the American ones became trendy. Yeah, because... Oh, that's a delicious hop slime. Okay. Right. Anyway, Thursday, March 17th, 1960, St. Patrick's Day. Flight 710 was a regularly scheduled flight departing Minneapolis-St. Paul to Miami mm-hmm. with a stop at Chicago Midway Airport. Radio contact with the Indianapolis Control Center was made at approximately 3 p.m. local time. About 15 minutes later, witnesses reported seeing the airplane break into two pieces with the right wing falling as one piece and the remainder of the craft plunging to earth near Canelton, in southern Indiana. It broke into two pieces in the air? Yes. And, and people saw it? Yeah. People s- reported seeing it. That happened. Oh, my God. How did it... What happened? Well, at the time, investigators organized by the Civil Aeronautics Board, otherwise known as CAB, not CAB Calloway, mm-hmm. they worked on three major theories. One, that a bomb blew up the plane and its passengers and crew members as they passed over... Oh, that a bomb blew up the plane and its passengers and crew members as they passed over southern Indiana on a Chicago to Miami flight. Oh, That's wow. That's worded weird. Yeah. I don't have to say it blew up the passengers and crew because if it blew up the plane, you knew. Okay, one, that a bomb blew up the plane mm-hmm. as they passed over southern Indiana on a Chicago to Miami flight. Number two, that violent air turbulence could have destroyed the craft. How could that happen? Uh this craft was the first Electra purchased by Northwest and in service only seven months. Okay. Uh, such turbulence was reported over southern Indiana at about the time of the crash. So because it was kind of a new mm. kind of plane, mm-hmm. I guess. Or number three, that the plane disintegrated through metal fatigue, which had recently caused other crashes of high-speed airliners. Like the same kind of crashes? Were they breaking half? I guess. The crash was the third Electra disaster in a little more than a year and the third unexplained accident in four months. It came within days of the Washington hearings on the death of 34 people in a National Airlines plane crash near Bolivia, North Carolina. That disaster was later discovered to have been due to a bomb. Wow. Um, the, the New York Times had reported that at 5.44 p.m., an hour and a half after news of the crash in the snow-covered Indiana-Kentucky border country, an anonymous caller told the Chicago police that a bomb had been placed aboard a plane at Midway Airport. The police searched the airport but found nothing and said they were convinced the call was a prank. Mm. The, operators, the operator said she thought the caller was a young teenager. Um, the craft's fuselage plunged into an Ohio River country farm. Mm-hmm. Did the black box Into an Ohio River survive? country farm at a speed of over 600 miles an hour Whoa. and disintegrated. Yep. Uh, the FBI sent agents to the scene to determine whether there was any violation of federal law. Um, Sergeant Police, Sergeant, uh, 
State Police Sergeant Joe O'Brien said the plane was last heard from over Scotland, Indiana, around about 70 miles from the crash site. Mm-hmm. He said the pilot, Captain Edgar LaParle, had reported rumble, had reported a rumble, and the weather was very muggy and cloudy. So maybe it was a lightning strike. So I looked up Scotland, Indiana, because mm-hmm. I've never heard of it. Have you? No. And um, uh, so, you know, sometimes I fall down a rabbit a hole, rabbit hole on yeah. the internet, and uh, so I wanted to, like let's see what's going on in Scotland, Indiana. I thought let's let's see if there's any notable famous people yeah. from there or anything from there. Yeah. Um, and the only thing I <laughs> I ended up I ended up on Scotland, Indiana's uh, Facebook group. Oh my God! <laughs> you know their local Facebook group. And I found, Did you like them? Well, all I saw on there, all I really found that was notable on Car- uh, uh, Scotland, Indiana's Facebook group was a, a post from Carol Kaiser on October 22nd, 2018. Yeah. That stated, um, has anyone around Scotland seen my white peacock? If, <laughs> if so, call me on my cell phone or message me here and let me know, uh, even if you find him dead. Oh, my God. Please don't shoot him. <laughs> that, that was the, it's the only post that was the only post that i saw that was anything memorable at all like everything else was just please uh, don't yeah. shoot him yeah yeah her key a her, white her peacock. peacock on october 22nd 2018 so Kaiser's we know what we're dealing with we know what kind of town that's this the kind of town that's yeah. just, but that's why i include that because that just tells you yeah where this plane crashed um anyway uh nasa boeing and lockheed engineers ended up determining that that probable cause for that accident was in-flight separation of the right wing uh, while cruising at 18,000 feet due to flutter caused by unexplained reduced stiffness of the engine mounts. All right, when are you going to get to the point where this is aliens? That's defined as world mode. When, which, at which part are you going to start talking about how it, that some people think it's aliens? Well, it... Uh, it was definitely aliens because here were the notable victims in this plane crash. Oh. Okay. See, I mean, this is what, what happens when you do research. You find out all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Listen to these victims. So this is make, makes you think, okay, somebody did this. Mm-hmm. Judge John A. Sharborough of Chicago, a 71-year-old jurist who helped prosecute Nathan Leopold and Richard Loeb for the crime of the century murder yes. of little Bobby Franks in 1924. Right. Yes. I know that murder. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, it is crazy. Uh, also, who else was on this flight? Mm-hmm. Marty Collins Chafe Chalfin, the wife of Morris Chalfin and producer of the Holiday on Ice skating shows, and her three children. Her and her three children were yeah. on the plane? Wow. Also, Masami Nakamura, a 43-year-old Tokyo police superintendent touring the U.S. Wait, Somebody was after would, him. I don't think that. I mean, really, I don't. That's for sure. Okay, what about this one? Lillian Frayne of Chicago, a mother of six and wife of Andy Frayne, the nation's top expert on controlling crowds at such gatherings as the World Series and presidential <laughs> conventions. Yeah, I'm, I think that's Aliens a bit of a reach, too. wanted those people dead. Yeah. All right. And then on Monday, March 21st, 1960, Israeli agents staked out a house in Argentina. Mm-hmm. suspecting Hitler henchman Adolf Eichmann and his family had relocated there. Oh. After watching him come and go for weeks, agents got their proof when he came home with a bouquet of flowers. When they said, see Heil, and he turned around and Well, they knew because it was March saluted. 21st, which was Eichmann's 25th wedding anniversary. Oh. Yeah, boom, that's how they found him, being smart. And then on Tuesday, March 22nd, 1960. That's pretty cool. Yeah, you like that? I did like that one. Figuring that out. Flowers. You got flowers. 
Yep. Tuesday, March 22nd, 1960. Although I don't bring flowers on anniversaries. Right. You do the day after. Or Valentine's Day, the day after, because the flowers are much cheaper. And, and mostly dead. And they're mostly dead, but they're going to die anyway. One was completely dead that you bought me, and you just thought it was a different kind of flower. <laughs> I thought it was a kind of It was a tulip without any petals on <laughs> I it. I thought it was an and iris. He thought it was an iris. <laughs> you know, the iris. It was, was completely dead. The guy probably wondered, what in the hell is wrong it with you? It was a lady. Why does that be a guy? She really, then she Why was have to be really wondering what in the hell's wrong with that you. The food lion. Maybe a guy would understand more, but she was probably really like, what? Is so, I buy, so I buy dead flowers the day after. Shoot me. I mean, it was just a little ridiculous is all I'm trying to say. You know what? To make up for it, like a week later, I bought you brand new hydra- a brand new hydrangea that died the next day. So it doesn't make a difference. Monday, March 21st, 1960. No, sorry. Tuesday, March 22nd, 1960. Mm-hmm. Arthur... Leonard Shalow mm-hmm. and Charles Hard Towns. Do you know who they are? Charles Hard Towns. Charles Hard? Charles Hard. Chucky Hard Towns. Okay. They received the first patent Patent. Right. for a, you want to guess? No. 1960. Post-it note? Laser. A laser. Oh, a laser. First patent for a laser. Okay. And then on Monday, March 28th, 1960, director Stanley Kramer receives the first. Haunted. Our house is haunted. We just heard, did you, listeners, did you just hear that? Did you hear that? It was either our icebox dropping (laughs) ice or or the house is haunted. Our house is haunted. It was one of the two things. I think it's Elvis. Play it back in slow motion. If you're driving in your car, just go ahead and. Just go ahead and look at your whatever device you're playing and really try to play it over and over again. And don't don't worry about looking at the road or right, anything. Right, right. Um, because this is more important. If you crash, yeah, that's what you get. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. March 28th, director Stanley Kramer receives the first star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Okay. The first one. The very first the one. The very first one. Oh. That was, that was probably weird. It looking. was meant to only be a director Stanley Kramer Walk of Fame. It was really? going to be just one star and just that guy, and then they were going to end it. Um, and then no, I don't think that's true. Oh, um, they maybe did. Maybe that's true. Maybe he was just so great. Let's put his name on a star on the walk. And of then fame. somebody else said, "I'm going to piss him off real bad by putting my name on a star right next to his." You know who director Stanley Kramer is? Do you know what he directed or no? What he's famous for? Do you know what his middle name is? No. It's Earl. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, He died in 2001. He was an American film director and producer responsible for making many of Hollywood's most famous message films. Okay. Um, As as an independent producer and director, he brought attention to topical social issues that most studios avoided. Among the subjects covered in his films were racism Mm. in The Defiant Ones and Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Nuclear War in On the Beach. Mm -hmm. Greed in it's a mad, 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 mad world. Mm-hmm. A mad, 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 mad world. Mm-hmm. Creationism versus evolution in Inherit the Wind. That's a good one, too. And the causes and effects of fascism and judgment at Nuremberg. His other notable films include... Those are all good. High I Noon. I can't believe I didn't the, remember his name. The Cane Mutiny and Ship of Fools in 1965. Boy, he's full of the hits. Yeah, it's maybe, a hit parade maybe, with him. Maybe, you know what we could do? We could start doing? Mm. We could uh, have a film... Uh, festival where you and I watch all of his movies. Director Director Stanley Kramer, mm-hmm. and then make a book report. No, we'll do a film festival of him, and then 
we'll find out who the second star was, and then we'll do a film festival of all their movies, and then we'll just do it till we've got the whole Walk of Fame. That that would the just one of those would take a year probably to what? all their movies. Well, we're well. We have to watch each one yeah. at the rate that we watch movies? <laughs> we watch one movie every seven years. <laughs> so that's a lifelong job you just cre- created for yourself there. Well, for us. It's a, that's what we'll do to bond as a couple. Yeah. I mean, we got eternity. We're, you know, we made that deal with the devil, so we're another true. guy. That's true. All right, what's next? The devil's making us do this podcast. Friday, April 1st, 1960. The 1960 United States Census begins. Oh, really? Yeah. Wait, the 1960 Census begins? Yeah. So it's not saying the whole census begins. It's just the 1960 Census. No, they started during the United States Census. The 1960 United States Census. Um, This is the one that I told you that all the people from Latin America are listed as white. Yeah. Including black people from the Dominican Republic. They're listed as white. They were listed as white. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. Anyway. So people probably that say, I don't know, somebody who wants to prove some point by saying, oh, it used to be more white people than there are now, is probably using the census yeah, statistics. Yeah, that is probably a mistake. Yeah. That's like, it wasn't all so many more white people. Yeah. I mean, maybe that's just a fallacy based and on the census good, report. That's a good point. Maybe it wasn't. So everyone was panicking. Oh, white people are finally a minority. Maybe they always were. Mm-hmm. They're just the worst people. Monday, April 4th, 1960, the 32nd Annual Academy Awards on NBC, hosted by... Is it how many people? Just one? One person. In 1960. 1960. God, how would I... You're going to be surprised. Sophia Loren, I don't know. Nope. Who? Lil Wayne. <laughs> Lil Wayne. <laughs> Lil Wayne hosted it. Was it really? Yeah. No, there wasn't Lil Wayne the first. No, no come on. It was Bob Hope. Okay, Bob Hope. Yeah. Um, he was it, big. Yep. It took place at the RKO Pantages Theater mm-hmm. to honor the best films of 1959. What did I say? Pantages. Pantages? Pantages? I think it's Pantages. It's spelled P-A-N-T-A-G-E-S, right? Yeah. Pantages? I think so. Pantages. RKO, what does that stand for? Um, I don't know. It's a Randy Orton finisher. Randy Orton finishes. All right. We're not we're not getting the wrestling. This is a Randy Orton podcast. No. Okay. Do you know what won the most Oscars? No, I it's an epic drama. It won eleven Oscars, breaking the record of nine set the year before by Gigi. By your your grandma? Yeah, my <laughs> my great grandmother. <laughs> I had the record the year before. My great grandmother who hasn't ever done anything uh except Rename farts fluffies. Yes. Okay. Uh, anyway, the epic drama Ben Hur. Okay. Yeah. Won eleven Oscars. Whoa! It remained the most honored motion picture in Academy Award history until Titanic. Oh. Which equaled the feat in nineteen ninety seven, followed by the Lord of the Ring, the Lord of the Rings, the Return of the King in two thousand three. Okay. Anybody since then? I wonder. I don't. I don't think so. Okay. Ben Hur was the third film to win both Best Actor and Best Supporting Actor, a mm-hmm. feat not repeated until Mystic River in two thousand four. Okay. 
Anyway, there's some other stuff, but who cares? And then Saturday, April 9th, the 1960 NBA World Championship Series was the championship series of the 1960 NBA playoffs, which concluded mm-hmm. the NBA Association 1959-60 season. I guess it's not the NBA Association. It's the National Basketball Association. The best of seven series was played between the Western Conference champion. Don't even look at me. St. Louis. What was St. Louis's basketball team in 1960? Do you know? No. Because they didn't have one when you grew up, right? No. Well, here's a hint. This team moved to Atlanta. Uh, I don't know. I don't know basketball teams. No. The St. Louis Hawks. Okay. And the Eastern Conference champion, Boston. Celtics. Yes. Oh, my God. You're sporting genius. <laughs> you know, you only know that because you had a roommate that was in love with Larry Bird. Yeah. Uh, it was Boston's fourth trip to the NBA Finals and St. Louis's third. The Celtics beat the Hawks 4-3. to three. And at this time, there were only eight teams in the NBA. Oh, wow. Now, I'm assuming the St. Louis Hawks moved to Atlanta. I could be wrong on that. I'm not a big NBA guy. But there is a team called the Atlanta Hawks now, the, the, and there is not a St. Louis team. No, I guess not. I don't know. No, there's not. But there was only eight teams in the NBA. You know That's how many crazy. there are now? 171, and they all make the playoffs. There's 171 teams. They all make the playoffs. What? They well, all make how are the playoffs. They play, how are they playoffs? How aren't they just more games? That's just more games in the playoffs because then they're elimination. They're best of 19 series. Each each playoff is 19 games. Oh, that's so dumb. I'm exaggerating. It's like best of seven, but and they don't all make it, but a lot, like way too many. Like it's forever. Oh, jeez. Like you might as well not watch until it's the last couple teams. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Unless, unless you really they want basketball. They have like 165,000 games. Like their season starts and I think I think we're still the NBA playoffs are now starting. It's April. Yeah. The season started in like October or something. Like it's Jeez. ridiculous. They play all year round? No. It, I'm probably exaggerating. I don't really know. Then much what about are we basketball. Talking about? <laughs> then what are we talking I don't about? Know why. I'm just like exaggerating completely about basketball, but I think it's a little ridiculous. Like and for me, I can't. I don't watch any basketball games until the last minute of the game, because that's, right. that's the only time it's exciting. Like the rest of the time, it's like, ah, yeah, one yeah. basket, another basket, another basket, another basket. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong, I couldn't do any of that stuff. But all right, it's not exciting till the end. What's next? That's my pet peeve about basketball, or as the cool kids say, basketball. I understand you have something on April 16th that I you wanted do. to talk about. I you wanted to sort of take a deep dive. Deep dive. All right. Remember that? Yeah. So um, first I'm going to give you a little background A little knowledge. background. Okay. A little background knowledge. Irene Garza yes. was a natural beauty who was crowned Ooh. Miss All South Texas Sweetheart in 1958. Ooh, sounds hot. She was prom and homecoming queen at her college. I was also prom and homecoming king queen. Yep. I know you were, and yep. a, an accomplished teacher who worked at with McAllen's Texas's most disadvantaged children. Oh well, that's nice. Isn't that nice? She's a nice person. A devout Catholic who was active in the Legion of Mary. Legion. The first person in her family to attend college and graduate and graduate school. Oh, fancy! So Saturday, April sixteenth, nineteen sixty. Yeah. Irene is she's twenty five at this time. Oh. She borrowed the family car to go to church, and she promised her mom she wouldn't be long. She left her parents' house around 6.30 in the evening and drove to Sacred Heart Church, where she planned to go to confession. Okay. Several parishioners saw her in church, yet no one ever saw her leave the church that night. 
That's weird. Why would she not leave the church, I wonder? The next morning, Easter Sunday, yeah. her car was still parked down the street from Sacred Heart. Saturday is when she was last seen? Yeah. No, Saturday, April 16th, she was last seen, yes. Oh, Saturday, April 16th, the same day that Eddie Cochran, 21-year-old American rock musician who wrote and recorded the classic Summertime Blues, yeah, and his fiance Sharon Sheely, and his fellow musician Gene Vincent, were seriously injured in a taxi accident. Oh. And the next day, Eddie Cochran died from that accident. Oh, my goodness. I didn't know that. taxi accident in Wilshire. Okay, England. In the town of Chippenham. Definitely in England. (laughs) Yeah, in England, when the car blew a tire and crashed into a lamppost. Oh, wow. Yeah, and he died the next day. And he died because he was trying to shield Sharon. Mm -hmm. And uh, he he was in the center of the back seat. He threw himself over his fiancée. She survived. Sharon. Yeah, she survived to shield her, and he was thrown out of the car when the door flew open. Oh, and he died, bummer. and they put a memorial there to him. Uh, but the weird thing about this is, um, one of the police, uh, local uh, police cadets, mm-hmm. um, was at the scene at the, with the impounded car, and his guitar was in the car. Mm-hmm. And one of the p- local police cadets was named David Harmon. Mm-hmm. Uh, he and he played. He was like messing with his guitar and playing it. Mm-hmm. He would later become known as Dave D of the band Dave D, Dozy, Beaky, Mick, and Titch. Are you taking us down a rabbit hole right now? Yeah, kind of. All right. Dave D, Dozy, Beaky, Mick, and Titch was a band. All right. And if you looked them up, they have some great music. Anyway. Okay. Also, the same day that Leave It to Beaver was on, on ABC. Yes. And this episode was Beaver's Monkey. After June objects to his having a mouse as a pet, Beaver lets the mouse go in a Metzger's field and answers an ad for a free pet monkey. Oh, that beaver. Always in trouble. Beaver's monkey. And then 9.30 p.m. on CBS, Have Gun, Will Travel was on. I wonder who named that beaver Beaver. as his nickname. Well, his face looked like a vagina. They they mentioned it several times on the show. Uh, 9.30 p.m. on CBS, Have Gun, Will Travel was on that same day. The Adventures of a Gentlemanly Gunfighter for Hire. All right. Starring Richard Boone. Okay. Did you know that? I did not. Okay, we talked about that being the number one song. Anyway. Number one show, you mean? Number one show. I say song. So, um, anyway, nobody ever saw her leave the church. Nobody ever saw her leave the church on Easter Sunday. No, yeah, the no, same on day, that night, that... on Saturday. So then... Um, oh, on Saturday she never left the church, and then Sunday was Easter Sunday. Sunday her car was still parked down the street from Sacred Heart, and she had never she never came home. So they found a single high-heeled shoe by the side of the road. And it's like men's hats. A woman would never yeah. leave her high-heeled shoe, right? Right. Um and the family confirmed that she had worn those shoes to confession. Yep, we all know what shoes she was wearing. So then the trail of evidence continued north, scattered beside the road. There was her black purse lying in the middle of a field. Oh, boy. It looked like it had been um, thrown out of the window of a passing car. That's not good. Her driver's license was discovered inside that. So then still farther north, they came across a piece of white lace crumpled in the brush. Uh-oh. So they began, the police began the search. Divers dragged the irrigation canals and border patrol planes flew overhead. I think it's pronounced canals. No, it is not pronounced canals. <laughs> I think it is. That's, that sounds very dirty. What? Detectives followed up on hundreds of leads, including boasts of a tourist at the highway grill in nearby Edinburgh who told a witness that he had killed Irene, wa- warning, you are next. Wow, that's but he, a boastful tourist. He later admitted that he'd drunk half a bottle of tequila across the border and was only joking. Well, a lot of times when I get drunk, I... I, I, I admit to crimes that you murders. didn't do. Yeah. 
Then came what seemed to be a break in the case. A woman identifying herself as Irene called home and pleaded for help, claiming she had been kidnapped and was what? being held in a motel room in a neighboring town of Hidalgo. Oh, my goodness. Dozens of police officers raced there only to discover it was a hoax. A hoax? Ah. Yes. I had, you got my hopes up. I know. I'm sorry. I was hoping Irene was okay. So then on Thursday following Easter, the police receive a call at 7.40 a.m. reporting that a woman's body was found floating in the 2nd Street Canal across from Sears. Oh, no. So the police and detectives... You mean the canal across used, from Sears? Yes, the canal across from Sears. Okay. Police and sheriff's deputies use a tarp to lift Irene's body from the water, and there's a crowd gathered and everything. At least she hadn't been raped. The right side of her face had been badly bruised, and she had two black eyes. The autopsy would later determine that she'd been beaten with a hard object and suffocated. The oh. state of decomposition suggested she'd been dead for fewer than four days, giving rise to speculation that she'd been held captive for up to a day before she was killed. So maybe that wasn't a hoax. According to her death certificate, she had been raped while unconscious. Oh. Sorry, babe. You promised no rape. I never. Pr I can't promise that. Well, you said the 60s would be less rapey. I, I thought it would be. Well, now. it was. This is the first one. Okay. Whereas in the 70s, pretty much everyone. And this is episode three yeah. of the 60s. Yeah. So. so local newspapers start to speculate, and there's all these rumors going crazy. And But the biggest rumor in town, everybody kind of knew, they felt like she had been killed by this priest. By a priest? By a everybody, priest. Wait, everybody in town knew a priest was killing people? They, they just, they all kind of were whispering about. About a creepy priest? Yes. So hey, I think our priest is killing people. So, in, but the problem was the police, there wasn't a lot of clues. There wasn't any physical evidence that could tie a person to the crime. There wasn't any hair, blood, or semen because it was all washed. Hair, blood, and semen, the name of my band. Washed away in Ladies the canal. Ladies and gentlemen, live. <laughs> hair, blood, and semen. <laughs> Sorry. So there wasn't any crime scene to investigate, and there wasn't a list of suspects. There was a muddy shoe print four blocks south of where Irene's body had surfaced, and a strand of her hair was tangled inside the shoe print. Ah, muddy shoe print is named by tag team. Yeah. Detectives thought this was where her killer took her out of the car and dumped her into the water below. On the bank were tire tracks and the faint imprint of her petticoat. But the ground was so soaked with rain, they were unable to make out any details about the sole of Hold the on. killer's shoe. Stupid question here. Yeah. What's a petticoat? Oh, it's an under... It's like a kind of a thing, skirt under your skirt. It's a skirt... Under your skirt? Yeah. Like a slip? Kind of, yeah. But it's so it's kind bit, of a slip, fuller. but it's not a slip. What makes it not a slip? It's a little fuller than a slip. Fuller. It's like for a fuller. Like thicker? It's like old-timey kind of. Old-timey, a petticoat. Yes. Petticoat. Okay. All right. Thank you. Detectives questioned more than 500 people. 500 people? Mm -hmm. um, Are they all priests? But so uh, outwardly, publicly, it doesn't look like the, the investigation's going anywhere. Okay. But behind the scenes, detectives had begun to focus their attention on a 27-year-old priest named John Feit. F-E-I-T. F-E-I-T. Oh. Yep, who had recently finished a seminary training in San Antonio. Police oh. knew little about the young man with the dark hair and horn-rimmed glasses. Uh-oh, dark hair, horn-rimmed glasses equal... But his name, kept turning, his name kept turning up in the investigation. Okay. He was bright and well-mannered, but he struck parishioners as aloof and a bit of a loner. Aloof loners. You can't trust aloof loners. Yeah. When he was once asked why he had joined the priesthood, he did not speak of his deep faith uh, or of hearing the call. I just wanted to give it a try, he said offhandedly. He so, just felt like doing it. Yep. I'm just an aloof loner that feels like doing it. So, aloof loner is the name of my first album. Yeah. 
On the night of Irene's disappearance, Father Fight had assisted the clergy at Sacred Heart hearing confessions and taking okay. part in Midnight Mass. All right. He had also met privately with Irene in the church rectory, which is like the that office. dirty. It's like an office. Oh. Or like where they live. But it's in the back is why they call yeah. it the rectory. But it's, it's in the back it's, like a rectum. It's where the priest lives, I'm pretty sure. The rectory is? Yeah. We should probably know that. So huh? he had met privately with Irene in the rectory. That sounds real dirty. Stop, yeah. Stay out of Irene's rectory. So Father Fight's account of what took place that night shifted in the weeks after Irene's murder. That Wait, what? Father's Fight's account. account shifted. Yeah. So first, oh, initially he claimed I, to, that Irene had come to the rectory to discuss the question of conscience with him that he could not disclose, after which he said... To, he had sent her to the sanctuary to confess. Come on, Irene. But in a later telling, the, the priest said that he had heard her confession in the rectory. Viewed, then this is viewed as highly inappropriate by other priests. If you hear confessions in the rectory, you're not supposed to. I thought, where are you supposed to hear confessions? In the confessional. Oh, and the rectory is it's not. It's like where the priest lives. Oh, it's where he lives. So he listened to confessions in his home. Yeah, pretty much. So, um, I really don't know much about religion. He, so after Irene had expressed a fear of being overheard, that yeah. that's what he said the second time around. He that she was that that's why she wanted to go to the rectory. Okay. Um, there were other peculiar details, though. Several parishioners who had stood in his stalled confession line that night told detectives he seemed to be absent from the sanctuary for long periods of time. Well, that would stall it while you're murdering somebody. Yep. That would definitely stall your line. Hmm, I wonder where the priest is. Perhaps he's murdering someone. Well, and then there's this other guy named Father O'Brien. And he stated that when he and several other clergymen had gathered to drink coffee after midnight mass, he had noticed that um, Fight's hand, hands were all scratched up. Yeah. He had suspicious-looking scratches on his hands. Yep. So he killed her. Detectives' interest in Fight deepened when they learned of another attack in a nearby Catholic church, and this was on March 23, 1960. March 23, 1960, the same day that the city of La Marada, California, was incorporated as Marada Hills, that's home of La Mirada Matadors, the high school mm -hmm. uh, team, uh, and that has notable alumni. Amber Riley, who was an actress on Glee. Oh, come on. She went to that This school. is ridiculous. Also, the same night that on CBS at 8.30, Men Into Space was on. Mm -hmm. uh, it's the adventures of Colonel Ed McCauley, head of the American Space Program. Mm -hmm. He battles saboteurs, budget cuts, and de defective equipment and other problems in outer space. Also, the same night... That the U.S. Steel Hour was on, and this episode at 10 p.m. on CBS, this episode was Charlie and the Kid. Uh, being a clown is not necessarily a pleasure cruise. This is what a hobo clown known in the business as Charlie thinks. So quite logically, he makes sure to educate his 10-year-old son so as he will never become a big-top artist. Starring Arthur Anderson, Richard Boone again, and Gerald Brooks. The U.S. Steel Hour was that a was show. That was worth it. It was the U.S. Steel. Like the uh, U.S. Steel was sponsoring was a, was a sponsor, it. sponsor, yeah. Okay. So. There was also a show called The Millionaire on CBS. No, we're done. <laughs> you don't want to. We're done. That's, so. That's all you want. I'm, I'm also, way been really patient with you. Also, Greg the Hammer Valentine. No. <laughs> all right. So there's there they learned of this other attack in this nearby Catholic church. On that same day. On March 23rd. Oh, this March was 23rd. Three, this is. The same day. Stop it. Sorry. This was three weeks before Irene was killed. This woman had been attacked at the church, and it was it was a church that was like 12 miles away. Okay. In a statement the woman later gave to a te detectives investigating Irene's murder, she said that she had noticed a young man with dark hair and horn-rimmed glasses sitting alone in one of the back pews. Was he aloof? 
He re- yeah, he resembled a stranger she had seen late that afternoon who had watched her from his blue and white sedan. Oh. The thought that it was the same man I saw earlier entered my mind, she said, but being in the house of God, I dismissed any thoughts of fear or foul play. Because the Lord has you covered, yep. and he even will defend you from a guy in a sedan. So she goes to the altar and starts to pray the rosary, and then the, this man grabs her from behind and tries to clamp a rag over her mouth. Oh, no. Screaming, she fell backward onto the floor where her attacker struggled to cover her mouth with his hands. She bit down on his fingers until she drew blood. As Boom. He, as he threw her to the wall, she ran out of a side door of the church. Good for her, knowing where the side doors of the church are. She said she thought the man that attacked her was a priest. She could not point to any specific proof that he was a clergyman. Just that he had been wearing black pants, and as priests often did. Um, black pants. So around the town, the theory that a priest had had his hands in both crimes could be broached only discreetly. They, because priests at this time were viewed as like literal men of God. Untouchable. They, they were of Jesus this, incarnate. This was way before all of the molestation right. scandal they and all of that. They were untouchable. And then parishioners start hearing things from the pulpit that are that seem like they said stuff like don't bear false witness against any member of the clergy. Don't you say a word. They were told not to speak of the the idea that a priest had anything to do with it or even think that. If you say that or think that you're going to hell. That's pretty much what they were you're told. You're going to burn in hell. So then in late April detectives drained the canal where they discovered the canal the where they you. discovered the muddy shoe print. Yeah, lying, muddy shoe print, y'all. And lying on the bottom a few feet from where investigators believe Irene's body was found was a light green Eastman Coda slide viewer with a long black cord. Now that if that's not a 1960s appliance, I do not know what is. What do you think it is? A Coda viewer? Eastman Coda slide viewer. Coda slide viewer. A so slide you know it's viewer. slide viewer for yeah. slides. Yeah. That's so, 60s mm-hmm. police thought they they appealed to the public to try to find the owner. Who lost the slide deal? And, huh? they, and they also found a candelabra that belonged to the church in the so, canal. Oh, well, that's incriminating. Why did he? Ha- why did he have insist on taking that goddamn candelabra <laughs> everywhere he goes? <laughs> yeah. they're gonna find you if you keep dropping candelabras from the church. Two days at later, all your murder scenes. So two days later, Father Fight steps forward and says that he had pure. He had purchased the camera the previous summer at a port isabel drugstore so oh the slide viewer yeah he said it was his so he finally sits down with detectives in early may he gave a meticulous accounting of his actions on easter weekend so admitted it all huh well no meanwhile he has this whole story he's got this whole thing he he had counseled irene in the rectory all right he had last seen her he said counseling her in the rectory just sounds sounds dirty to me bad it does so he, he had last seen her when they exited the rectory between 7.15 and 7.20. Afterward, he heard confession for several hours in the sanctuary and had twice returned to the rectory to smoke cigarettes. You want to smoke cigarettes in my rectory? He gave excuses for the cuts on his hands. He said he'd been troubled to learn that the woman he had talked to had disappeared, but that Easter morning he went about his day anyway. Easter evening, Irene's parents showed up to talk to him since he was the last person to see her. Yeah. And they asked if he may have had something... He said something to upset her. Yeah. And he denied that. And um, he never explained how his slide viewer found its way into the canal, though. Wait, I thought you were, the canal? I thought you were going to explain how he had the cuts all over his hands. It was oh, he, Easter egg hunt? He said, yeah. Easter I can't egg, remember Easter what his excuse was. He, he had some, some excuse that he was like fiddling with a window and the sash cut his hand up or something. 
So they said they sat Settled him with a window, see? They sat him down again to question him about the attack on the other girl, Maria America Guerra. That is America? Is her middle yeah. name? And, um, because she, their, she her was, parents loved the band America? She was the other woman that was attacked. And okay. um, in a signed sworn statement, he said he was at the church but left an hour before the attack. He had said he'd been back in time to ring the bell to service. But other priests later told detectives that he had not rang the bell to service that night. There was no bell ringing, brother. And uh, Maria and an eyewitness both picked Father Fight out of a lineup. Oh, shit. He was in a lineup? And they gave him a polygraph, and he failed it. Well, that's inconclusive. I don't believe polygraphs. So in August, he was indicted for assault with intent wait, wait, to wait, rape. Wait, wait, wait. Remember, we said oftentimes in the 60s, they would say that a copy machine is a polygraph. That wasn't in the 60s. That's now. Oh, that's now? Yeah, we do that <laughs> okay. now. They do that now. See this fax machine? It says you're lying. Yep. Oh, shit. Okay, I'll confess. See this piece of paper? It says lie. This toaster over here says you're a liar. Yep. So in August, Father Fight was indicted for assault with intent to rape Guerra, but he had left the, the state. The, oh. um, he later surrendered, claiming he had suffered a nervous breakdown brought on by the police interrogations and well, stood trial the following year. Yeah. The jury deadlocked nine to three in favor of conviction. And the Wait, nine to three is not a deadlock. I know. But the, How do you deadlock nine to three? But the proceedings ended in mistrial. Mm -hmm. It was a mistrial. Oh, Rather shit. than face a second criminal trial in 1962, Father Fight pled no contest to reduce charges of aggravated assault and was fined $500. 500 bucks for raping and killing two ladies? Well, he they this was just for the uh, attempted uh, rape. He didn't kill that first woman. Oh. She ran away. No murder charges were filed. So it's now alleged that the DA cut a deal with the church to protect John Fife and the church's reputation. Oh, my goodness. The most elected officials in the city were Catholic, and John F. Kennedy yep. had just been elected Catholic, uh, president. He was the first Catholic president. And they were worried about the reputation of the church. Oh, so, by 63, you're saying. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because he wasn't elected yet. So 60. no murder charges were filed. He was, Father Fight was transferred to a faraway monastery. In the 60s, he was at a treatment center for troubled priests. And at one point, he served as a supervisor. And his job was clearing priests to return to their positions, clearing oh other goodness. troubled priests. <laughs> That's crazy. Then he eventually left the priesthood, got married, and had kids. Irene's what? parents died. Without ever having seen her case solved. Holy balls. All right. As Bean Gene Oakland would say, holy balls. 42 years after the murder. 42 years? What year is that? San Antonio police receive a phone call. Yeah? Oh, my God. What? From a former priest who said he had information about the murder. From 1960? Yep. He said in the summer of 1963, he had counseled this man, the San Antonio priest, at yeah. a monastery in Missouri. Same guy who said that he had attacked and murdered a woman in a parish on Easter Sunday. Oh, and he's just now telling people in the 2000s? Yes. And this man agreed to testify against the, the priest that said that this. That priest's still alive? Mm hmm 43 years later? Yep. So f uh, John Fight had left the priesthood in 1972. All right. Um, the same year and that... Ah, you were born. Police called Fight to tell him that the decades-old murder case had been reopened, and was there anything he wanted to share with law enforcement? <laughs> oh, shit. And he said, you all confess? he said was, that man doesn't exist anymore. That's all he would say. The, that man that he was? Mm-hmm. What the Texas Rangers needed to do was develop a case that could be presented to a grand jury. Texas Rangers baseball team, you mean? Yes. 
Okay. They found their star witness in Dale Techney, who was that former priest that Dale Techney, um, that I was just saying called. Let Dale through. All right. Sorry. So, this is what Dale says. That the oh, I can't wait John to hear what Fite, Dale says. What John Fight said, confessed to him, that he had asked to come to the church rectory and heard her confession. Okay. After the confession, he had restrained her. Um. And Dale thought that she might have been bound and gagged, but he was not certain. And he had fondled her breasts. Oh. Before he returned to the sanctuary to hear confessions, he had moved her to the rectory basement. Before he returned to the sanctuary to hear confessions, he had moved her to the rectory basement. Later that evening or in the days that followed... Why does rectory sound so dirty? He moved her to another location. Then on Easter Sunday, he put her in a bathtub and placed a bag over her head. Why? What he, for? He heard her saying, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. Take well, yeah, you got a bag on her goddamn head. When Sorry. he came back later on the day or early evening, he found her dead in the bathtub. And then that night, at what hour... When he just left her in the bathtub with a bag on her head? Yeah, that's what he says. Oh. He put her in the car that was available and removed. But his, it doesn't line up exactly with what they found because he, she was raped after she was unconscious. How do you so know that? that they, they can tell from the autopsy, I guess. You can tell from an autopsy if she was raped while she was unconscious? I guess, yeah. There must be physiological things that happen differently, I guess. Yeah. Well, you're asking. I don't want to know any of that. Why are you telling me? So, um, they need to get it in front of a grand jury. Yeah. Right? right. Even though it doesn't match the right stuff? But uh, the, um, well, they need to, they're trying to, Either way, they need to get it in front of a grand jury. They need okay. to. They he, they figure out he did it, but he's just he just probably didn't tell. Because this guy's the free, whole thing. right? Yeah. This guy's completely yeah. free right now. Yeah. So, um, the Brownsville Herald ran a front page story on Irene's murder and the suspicion that continued to surround John Fight. But there's this DA named Rene Guerra, and his and he was asked if he planned to pursue an indictment in the case. And he says, I reviewed the file some years back. There was nothing there. Can it be solved? Well, I guess if you believe that pigs can fly, anything's possible. And then he says, why would anyone be haunted by her death? She died. He, her killer got away. That's what the DA said, the guy that's supposed to prosecute him. Huh. So Doesn't he, sound he declares that the evidence is weak and that he wouldn't present it to a grand jury. And... So spoken the, like a true asshole. The investigators are blown away because they've been working on this case for more than a year. This and, guy's in on it. And they were like, "Why is we've got all this evidence?" It's the DA. His name is John Fight. And because Dale, mask. it turns out Dale Techney wasn't their only witness either. That spring, they had visited Father Joseph O'Brien, who was there that yeah, night. Yeah, that guy said some stuff. He was um, living he at a retirement home for priests. Oh, yeah. He told investigators that he had suspected Father Fight from the very start, that the lacerations on his hands that Easter weekend were plainly fingernail scratches. Plus, he he had horn-rimmed glasses and he was aloof. And he said he was he had been suspicious enough of Father Fight that he and another priest had searched the attic and the basement of his Sacred Heart on Easter Sunday looking for any sign of Irene. We got to look because this guy's aloof. Later that day, he had followed Fight when he drove back to San Juan and had lost the priest at a red light, but he didn't know anything more than that. He followed him because they were that suspicious. But, but he... Like he says, that's all I know. That's all I know. And then 
the police are thinking there's more. He's not telling us everything. The guy in the old folks' home? Yeah, Father O'Brien. Okay. So they keep pressuring him, and finally he yeah. changes his story a oh, little bit, yeah. and he says he, he pounded his fist on the table, and he said that during the summer of 1960, when he had confronted Father Fight about whether he had killed Irene, the young priest had told him everything. What? That and, fucking guy was keeping all that secret? And he would be willing to say so in court. So, but, What? But because of... The DA's decision, the priest's account would go unheard. Oh, no. What? That's so, so stupid and shitty. P- public pressure intensified, and after months of negative publicity, the guy says, okay, fine, we'll send it to a grand jury. The they, guy? They, you mean the DA? The DA. They didn't call either priest. What? They didn't. Why? That's He's like, I'll send it to the grand jury, but he didn't do his job. He didn't. They didn't call either priest. They didn't... Um, Police weren't called to testify until the 11th week What's of the, the grand point? jury. What's the point of our existence? And so everybody was like, he he did that on purpose. So they didn't find that there was enough evidence to convict him. So I'm outraged. So later that week, Chief Rodriguez announces that he was closing the investigation. And that way it would make pe- people, that it would be an open records request. Like you could you could get the evidence, like people could use the case files if they wanted to try to solve it but if then you close it they can do that yeah you can't get an open records request when a case is pending or ongoing oh or anything. that's right but um but then that, that's funny but that then you, the DA, i know that because of our president yeah <laughs> we can't know anything because of all of the pending open investigations but guerra threatened to prosecute the chief if he showed the files to the media insisting it was still an open case a grand jury will hear the case again, Guerra said, only if a confession is forthcoming. So he's saying, it's you're not closing the case, and we're not sending it to a grand jury. That was going to be one or the other, right? He says, it's an open case, and you just leave it. Then, just leave it open. Well, 10 years later. Skin in the game. 10 years later, in 2014. 2014? That was like just a couple of days ago. Yep. A new DA is elected, Ricardo Rodriguez. Ricardo Rodriguez, yo. Where is this again? Vegas? In Texas. Texas? They re-examined the case, and more than 57 years after the murder... I prefer to say 57. John Fight is arrested and charged. What? Yes. How old is he? He's 88 years old. 88? No, he's not 88. Yes, he's 84. 84, 88, same difference. So Dale Techney, who's 88, testifies... Oh, that guy's still alive. December eighth. Probably like shit. I thought they'd yep. be dead by now. The same December eighth, twenty seventeen. After a six day trial, a jury convicted John Fight, now eighty four years old, uh, for murdering Irene Garza, and is given life in prison. Are you fucking kidding me? Nope. Not a very long life in prison, but they finally got around to it. If she were still alive today, she would be eighty three years old. In a letter to a friend in and April nineteen sixty, she wore, wrote about how she was no longer afraid of death. You see, I've been going to communion and mass daily, and you can't imagine the courage and faith and happiness it has given me, she wrote in the letter. According, oh, and This was all thing. according to te- Texas Monthly. She could have been a grandma. She could have been somebody's grandma, but never got But it's be. isn't that creepy that she said that going to communion and confession and stuff... Is what made her let her guard down? And yes, and yeah. that ends up being what killed her. That's ah, crazy. What's crazy is they put this... 84 year old man in jail now who's yeah. not going to do anything. He like now. shuffled in on a walker and yeah. stuff. Sorry, old man, you're in jail now. For but he, pro- I've it's met better than nothing. No, I, I agree. But I've met a lot of 80 plus year olds. Yeah, 
I haven't met many 80-plus-year-olds who have any idea what the hell is going it's on. It's true. It's probably a moot point now. Like my grandma's 90. Pretty much since she was 84, she had no idea. What, yeah, that's like, true. That she even did anything. Yeah. Maybe. No, you're probably right. Yeah. But, I, but I mean, it's but better than... I'm not saying that he should, but... It's a shame yeah, that it took so long. It takes so goddamn long. People keep secrets. That's nuts, man. Yeah. And it's amazing that other guy was still alive. Yeah. That's a crazy story. It is. That is effed up. Did you know that before you looked up stuff from 1960? No, I did not. Holy I crap. learned it like, all. I thought it was just something you knew, like, oh, this is a famous story. No, but Texas Monthly is... Um, has really good true crime stories. They have some really good true crime writers. Okay. And um, I found the article through that, so that was pretty good. All right. Well, Sunday, April 17th, 1960. Have you ever heard of Russwood Park? Something happened. No. At Russwood Park. I have not. Russwood Park was a stadium in Memphis, Tennessee. Okay. It was primarily used for baseball. And it was the home of the Memphis Chicks minor league baseball team. Mm -hmm. And on the Easter afternoon of April 17, 1960, mm -hmm. more than 7,000 people came to the park to watch an exhibition game between the Chicago White Sox and the Cleveland Indians. Later that evening, sometime around 7.30, a few patients at Baptist Hospital noticed smoke billowing from the empty stadium. Oh, my God. Firemen from a firehouse in Jefferson rushed to the scene thinking they were going to quench yet another trash fire that tended to spring up from the paper and clutter beneath the rickety old stands. I thought we'd have it out right away, one fire captain told reporters. The whole thing's made of wood? But when he got inside, it was a different story. Yeah. Daylight revealed the full extent of the fire that consumed Russwood Park. Steel beams twisted by the intense heat, scorched cars, and burnt out buildings along Madison. Oh, my God. What, did the hospital survive? The captain of a ladder truck said, We located the fire in the bleachers and started pouring water on it, but it just kept growing, and we had to drop the hose and run for our lives. Jeez. That's when we decided we realized we were pouring gasoline on it instead of water. No. no. That was the that first up. time we had a fire I felt we couldn't handle. Oh, my God. As Gilbert puts it in her story, I don't know who Gilbert is. It soon <laughs> became obvious that attempting to save the stadium was useless, and the intense heat... Temperatures at the heart of the fire reached 5,000 degrees. Fahrenheit, water just turned to steam. Russellwood was given up for dead. Firemen concentrated on containing the flames, which were now spreading toward the maternity ward of John Gaston oh Hospital to the west and Baptist Hospital to the south. A news photographer on the scene that evening captured a tsunami of flame cascading over 12-story Baptist Hospital, which was filled with nervous patients. And you can look at this I up online. I guess so. Windows cracked and window, and window frames and John Gasson actually caught fire oh my in God. the space of a few minutes, uh, wrote Gilbert, who was somebody who wrote about this. <laughs> somewhere, somewhere in the lines that I skipped, I said who Gilbert is. Yeah. But it's a female lady. Russwood became one of the few Signal 5 or 5 alarm fires in our city's history. Uh, a full-scale evacuation took place inside the smoke-filled hallways of both hospitals, an event made even more perilous considering that most of the patients at John Gaston were newborns. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? Can you imagine getting yeah, a bunch of newborn babies out of a hospital because of a fire? 
having a or be being the mom and ha- having just given birth and then having to rush out of the hospital. Despite the intensity and extent of the blaze, not a single patient, firefighter, or bystander suffered a serious injury that night. Oh, that's amazing. If I didn't already have religion, I would have gotten it that night, hospital president Frank Groner said afterwards. Frank Groner. <laughs> and that's how Frank Groner talks. Yep. People referred to it as the Easter miracle. Easter miracle. That was the Easter miracle. And then you can look up pictures online of that and stuff. Um, yep. Okay. I bet it was from cigarettes. Yeah, it probably Everybody is. smoked then, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Anyway, there you go. I think that's amazing that they made it all out of wood. I yeah. mean, I guess. I think you made everything out of wood then, maybe. And everybody smoked. It's amazing more things didn't burn down. Well, they used to when they used to a lot more buildings used to go do- go up a lot more in the past. Well, and then if you get back before they had electricity, then, of course, everything went up because they used flames to light. Hello? Like in Game of Thrones. Yep. April 25th, 1960, we have a new number one song on the Billboard charts by Elvis Presley. A little song called Stuck On You. Yeah, I like this one. This was Elvis Presley's first hit single after his two-year stint in the U.S. Army. Oh, this I think this was his black leather, his black leather jacket face. Maybe it's right when he got back from the army. Yeah, I think he, so. He recorded the song during March 1960, and the song was released within weeks and went to number one on the Billboard Hot 100 chart in late April, becoming his first number one single. Of the 60s and 13th overall. The song was written by Aaron Schrader mm-hmm. and J. Leslie McFarland and published by Gladys Music, Elvis Presley's publishing company. Gladys Music. That was his mom's name. His mom's name was Gladys. Yeah. His dad was... Oh, we talked about it in the Elvis death episode. I can't remember what his dad's name was. It's like Earl or Phil. Yeah, or Earl, I think. Phil. I think it was Phil. Oh, okay. I don't remember. Yeah, me neither. Anyway, that's, uh, that's the number one song. And so this Elvis song is going to have to tide us over until the next episode. Okay. Because I think we're out of time. But that was you had a great story. We had some Elvis music. We had a fire. Yeah. I mean, it was pretty, uh, we were pretty intense. And we're going to start off. We'll start off in the beginning of May in the jeez. next episode. Time to get out of here, Chuck Berry. Yeah, geez. I'm sorry it's taking us so long to get through 1960. But, you know, maybe this is what our podcast should have been all along. Yeah. Thorough research. Thorough oh, stories. America. Oh, you could have a whole podcast about each one of these stories. You could, mm-hmm. if we were smart. Right. Maybe that's what our next podcast will be. Just really go podcast. deep diving into each one. Deep dive. All right. Every single thing. Yeah, that's true. Maybe we're just putting out too much. Too Maybe much we should info. rethink our whole lives in podcasting. I don't know. Maybe we should shut the microphones up our butts. That's a good idea. All right. Maybe we can do that at a live. Please rate, review, subscribe. Yep, and come to our live show uh, in May Charlotte, test. North Carolina, May 11th. At 2.30 p.m. Uh, somewhere uptown Charlotte. You'll find it. All right. Get out of here, Chuck. I love you. When you were all alone no watchtower, her kiss in the sky. Well, I was barely a glimmer in my young daddy's eyes. And the wind so tired the six days. One more time, I said we're so tired.
me shut my mouth American Timelines is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com.